Today we're going to be talking about how to find your purpose and live with purpose, which are kind of two different things that complement each other. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Having no purpose, no sense of meaning to what you, what it is that you're doing, how you're spending your time in life, it's probably the greatest source of pain for most people in first world countries. Because once you've established that those lower level needs have been met, you know, safety and security, food, comfort, all those kinds of things, it's, it gives you time to think. What am I doing with my life? Who am I? What's the point of all this? And if you don't have good answers to those questions, you can really suffer. So if, you, if you're trying to live in a way that feels meaningful and gives you a sense that there is a point to being alive and that your life is contributing to something greater than just survival, you can get through the suffering that is life. You know, life is incredibly unfair and painful and we just die at the end. And if you don't have a good reason to get out of bed... It can be really painful. So today I'm going to talk about a kind of combined effort to give your life meaning. One is to actually try and find a purpose, as it's commonly known, a kind of a reason, a a mission to be on, a kind of long-term goal that you're trying to achieve, that you get up rearing to go every day, trying to make some progress on. And then the concept of living with purpose which actually can be totally satisfactory all by itself. You don't even need the big mission. Uh, I, I have a mission. I like it, but I know it's not necessary. If you learn to live purposefully, where everything you do from the small little things like washing the dishes or taking your dog for a walk through the big things like making love or going to work or traveling, if you can make every second of that meaningful, then you won't even need a bigger purpose. You'll feel that just living day to day is meaningful. So I'm going to try and show you how to address both of those issues today. Uh, And if you're wondering whether or not you need to work on this stuff, ask yourself, how do you feel when you sit still, when there's nothing to do, when you're in silence, maybe waiting in a queue, no access to your phone? Do you get agitated? Do you find yourself trying to keep yourself busy or trying to numb yourself and and capture your attention all the time, stimulate yourself all the time? Do you find that you would probably leave your job if you could get better money somewhere else? Or you would switch out your friends if you could find higher quality people that liked you? And so on. Do you find that like your life is kind of something you've settled for and you keep yourself very busy and distracted so that you don't have to kind of acknowledge that? Those are the warning signs, and there's many more, such as drinking a lot of alcohol, using drugs, uh, binging on all sorts of substances, comfort eating. There's lots of signs that show you you haven't found true meaning in life. When you've got true meaning in life, you get your shit together, you waste very little time, you have no doubt about what's right and wrong for you, and you cut things that are wrong for you. You're very brutal with, ruthless, really, with cutting things that are wrong for you. You don't settle for anything mediocre when you've got a meaningful, purposeful life. So if you feel like, you know what, if you took my phone away from me and I have to sit there and think and be left alone in the void and that that makes you panicky, that thought, then today hopefully will help you with that. 
Ah, oh, cool. I, I, I'm not used to this chat room thing, but I like it, so I'll include that. Sorry to interrupt, I'm losing interest on literally everything which I dreamt. That's okay. If you found that you had all these dreams and you're losing interest in them, probably means you had the wrong dreams. Okay? When you find the right ones, you're not going to lose interest in them. You might lose hope in them if they've been like too hard for you or there's too many barriers in the way, but you wouldn't lose interest in them. If you're losing interest in something, probably it was the wrong thing for you. Or you may be going into depression for other reasons, like you might be burnt out, you might have a chemical uh, imbalance in your brain. So sometimes you can lose motivation for things that are actually meaningful for you because of sort of outside interference. But what I'd say uh, to the person who wrote that comment, just wait until the end of the session, we'll figure out maybe if you're focused on things that are wrong for you, or if you had found the right things, but some outside interference have made that hard for you. So having a purpose, like I said, is having a mission. It's kind of goal-oriented. There is an achievement you wish to achieve, or there's like an enemy you wish to fight, or there's something you're meaning to create, even if it's like uh, ongoing, like you keep creating it, or you finish it one day. That's a mission. That's purpose. Having a purpose, like this noun purpose. Being purposeful is in the way you live. Everything you do, you're fully engaged. You know why you're doing it. You're doing it in a way that gives meaning to the task and respects it. And you can turn even what most people would think of as mundane things like waiting in traffic or washing the dishes into something that gives you a sense that you're fully living your life. So you can imagine if you've got both of those, you're never going to have any doubt about why you're on this planet and you're very unlikely to slip into depression or have major anxiety problems or anything like that. I honestly think having real strong meaning and purpose is one of the best cures to most mental illness. And the lack of it is probably one of the biggest causes of most mental illness. One of the things I want to point out is we're going to start with looking at creating a purpose. And a little uh, kind of, uh, what would you call it? Like a variation is what I call a secondary purpose. So you have a primary purpose and a secondary purpose. And a primary purpose is probably the thing that you would like to get paid to do as well like if it was your source of income because it's your work you know you'd rather that be your job than anything else uh, you'd think it was absolutely like living the dream if you were to paid to do this thing and it's about having an impact this is how you're going to leave your legacy this is how you're going to change the world at least a little bit or change the lives of other people uh, this is what you want written on your tombstone John Smith achieved this thing, or John Smith was all about this thing. That's a primary purpose. So for me, that is helping people pleasers become more confident. That's my primary purpose. We'll talk a little bit about how I came to that today. That's what I wake up wanting to do every day. That's what I want to get paid to do, because I don't want to do work for somebody else and get paid to do something else when I can do this, right? And I do it through various means, my coaching, podcasts like this, my books, a secondary purpose is more just for you, and it's probably just for fun. You don't need to be the best at it, nobody else needs to be affected by it or know that it's happening, but it gives you a great sense of meaning. It's usually an activity of some kind that you might call a hobby, and you don't want to do it for a job, you don't want to get paid to do it, you feel that that would kind of ruin it for you, you don't care if nobody knows about it, you're not trying to be the best or actually some people are and it ruins it for them, but generally you're just, it's the act of doing it that gives you meaning in and of itself. It doesn't have to have any further impact than that. And so for me, this might be dancing. 
you know, I do, well, I haven't done much of it since my baby was born, but looking to get back into it. I like to just dance. I like dancing with people. I like each dance in and of itself, just connecting with someone, throwing them around the room, and then moving on with my life afterwards. I tried getting competitive with dancing. I tried teaching dancing. And I found like, I felt like I'd gone too far. Like I don't, I don't want to go that far with it. I don't want to turn it into a business. I didn't want to become an athlete in it. I just want to dance with people. I just want to dance with my wife. I want to dance with strangers. And I want to go home afterwards and nobody cares whether or not I was there. And I don't need to be the best. But when I'm dancing, I feel very present. Um, there's no doubt about why I'm here on this planet. I'm here to dance in that moment. That's a sense of what I call a secondary purpose. It's an activity that's very purposeful and meaningful to you, but it's not the main mission. So often you can start with that, and this can also help you, especially if you're an artist, creative type, help you figure out whether or not you should be turning what you're doing into a business. Is is this primary or secondary? So if dancing was my primary, then yes, I'd make a business out of it. I'd teach dancing, I'd open a dance school, I'd maybe do online educational videos, because I wouldn't want to do other work, because that would just be like wasting my time. But if you're quite happy to do other work, and this isn't what you want to get paid to do, or you've tried getting paid to do and it ruins it for you, you just see it as like your side gig. Like maybe you're an artist and you paint paintings, but you don't even care if anyone buys them or not. You don't even care if you're known as an artist. That would be a secondary purpose. So sometimes if you can't figure out what the primary one is, at least start looking for secondary ones. You might have multiple secondary purposes. There was a while there where I played in a band and I danced salsa. And I was learning how to do magic tricks. And it didn't matter if anyone knew about this stuff. We'll start with, actually, you know what? We'll start with the idea of living purposefully, and then we'll move into finding a purpose. Just because that's the way my notes are arranged. Let's talk about essential intent. This is something my former coach taught me about. Most people, they go into their days in a multitasking kind of mindset. They've got lots of things that they're trying to do and achieve and be. And it's kind of like taking a cake and cutting it into lots of little pieces so everybody only gets a small slice. Having an essential intent is more like giving the whole cake to somebody. Okay, so they get a massive meal. It's about, on any given day, and this can change, might fluctuate day to day or after a few months you might change it, but any given day you know the main thing that you're about. Okay, you have an intention for that day that is the highest priority and anything else comes after it or anything else has to wait in a queue behind it, it will trump anything else. If you have to choose between this and something else, this wins. And it isn't so much a practical goal thing, like my essential intent is to make more money. That's not an intent. It's more about who you're going to be. My one right now is to be a good father. That's my essential intent. So as I go throughout the day, I'm constantly checking in if I'm aligning with that. Now there's times when it kind of goes neutral, like right now my wife has taken our daughter for a walk. I don't have any dad stuff to do. She's got it covered. So secondary stuff comes in, which is doing this podcast. But let's say I'm about to do this podcast and I hear my daughter screaming downstairs and my wife struggling with it. In that case, because my essential intent is to be a good father, I would stop the podcast and I'd go downstairs and help out. I'm always going to have a clear priority. And most people just don't have this. They go into the day and they're trying to be everything. 
They want to be a good dad and a hard worker and a fun friend and a successful martial artist and all these things all at once. And they find it really hard to distinguish between all of them. And whenever there's a conflict between them, they don't know which one to choose. And they kind of half do each one rather than going all in on something. And it gives you a sense of living in an average way, a mediocre way. You're kind of half doing stuff. And you're not really sure what the primary is. It almost doesn't matter which one you choose, because you can change this later if you figure out that you got it wrong. But choose one thing as your intent. And remind yourself of it every morning. And go, no matter what happens, this is the main priority. Anything else that competes with this is going to lose. So it can, like I said, mine's to be a good father. Prior to having a kid, mine was to be a powerful coach. You might have, you want to be a conscientious worker, or you want to be an honest person, or you want to be a courageous person, or you want to take good care of yourself. Whatever it is that you think needs to be right up front right now, think about like your life in five to ten years, and you're looking back at now, and you think, God, what, what would I wish I had prioritized? you know, and then do that, prioritize that. You know, for example, if your health is starting to go off track, well, then in 10 years, you're going to be really suffering from health problems and you're going to wish that you'd got your shit sorted now. So make that your essential intent, that I have to, in all things I do, choose the healthiest option. Whether it's food, whether it's the way I sit, whether it's who I talk to and hang out with, whether it's what I read in the news, I've got to try and find the healthiest thing to put into my body and to do with my body. So essential intent can be one of the quick fix ways for you to bring purpose and meaning into your life. Like I said, you don't need to even worry about getting it right to begin with. Just choose one that you think is probably right. And then within a few days of doing it, you'll see whether something else is actually more meaningful, more important to you, especially when competition comes up. Where you're like, oh, I've got to choose between that and something else. If you feel like the something else is way more important, then make that your essential intent tomorrow. And see who wins the competition next time. Until you've got one that always wins the competition. Okay. So this actually, this idea comes from the book Essentialism. And from my coach. And I really recommend the book. I can't remember who the author is. But if you type in Essentialism into Amazon. It's the only book that will come up probably. It's this idea of any given time you focus on just one thing. And there's no such thing as priorities. Plural. There's just priority. Singular. So you never have more than one priority. It's a totally different way of living, but it's a very, very meaningful way of living. And so it goes beyond just having essential intent. It can be like at any given time, if you're going to do a task, you only do that one task and everything else is put aside. You never multitask. It's an absolute myth, by the way, that you can multitask. Sure, you can try to do different things around the same time period, but you're only ever actually doing one of them at a time. Or at least... Your focus and attention is only ever with one of them at a time. You can't split focus. So what you're doing is you're breaking your focus as you switch between these tasks rapidly. You're just going, pay attention, lose attention, pay attention, lose attention, pay attention, lose attention. So if you're doing three things at once, it's like ding, 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 ding. You'll notice that like if you're watching a movie and eating, if you're paying attention to the movie, you don't even notice that you're eating. If you pay attention to the food, you miss what's happening in the movie, even though it looks like you're doing both at the same time. You're actually only doing half of either, which means you're only having half of an experience, really. So essentialism means if you're going to watch a movie, there's no food, there's nothing else, your phone's turned off, and you just watch the movie. That's essentialism. Or if you're going to eat, 
You don't read your phone, you don't talk to people, you focus on the food, you taste it, you feel the textures, you really get into it. That kind of, uh, what do you call it, mindfulness kind of approach. Now it's hard to maintain, but just generally speaking, if you do this with everything, like if you're going to do the dishes, do the fucking dishes, right? Take each fork, look at it carefully, how does this need to be cleaned, get it nice and clean, get it fucking, you know, the, the queen would eat with this. Put that aside, next one, dry it all, put it away perfectly, fully clean the bench, get the whole kitchen sorted, and make washing the dishes like an experience that you're proud of. This is living purposefully. You do one thing at a time, and you do it well. It almost doesn't matter what the thing is. What matters is your engagement with it. This is why you can sometimes find like what I might call the philosophical janitor. Somebody has a job that a lot of people look their down their nose at a menial labor job and they get paid fuck all and it's hard physical work or it's boring or it's smelly or whatever and yet there's some people in those lines of work that enjoy their life more than people who are changing the world in politics or whatever why because they figured out how to make even the smallest most mundane things meaningful and we should be envious of such people we shouldn't be looking down at them because they figured out something that we couldn't in fact, you'll find the more ambitious a person is, usually the less likely they are to find and engage in tasks meaningfully. They're always looking for the next high, the big thing to stimulate them, because they can't just get enough stimulation out of just doing a small, normal thing well. So the people who figure out how to do that, people who can do the dishes with the same kind of vigor and enthusiasm that somebody starting a business, they've figured out kind of the secret to life, you know. And that can be essential intent as well. You can be like, whatever you do, do it fucking well. Go all in, even if it's a task that nobody else cares about, that nobody's going to congratulate you for doing or whatever. Go all in. So this is what we're really talking about here is living with integrity. What is integrity? It's living according to your values. I'm not going to go into that today because I've got so much other content about that. You can check out my podcast channel for more stuff about that. But integrity is really an on or an off setting. There's no score. It's not like I had 20 integrity point, you know, points yesterday, so I can take it easy today. It's you're either on or you're off. You're either living by what you value or you're not. And essentialism should be about being on as much as possible. So if you're going to speak, you speak honestly. If you're going to act, you act courageously. If you're going to work, you take responsibility for what's under your control. Whatever it is that you value. Whenever you catch yourself being off, you go back on. And you can actually live a really meaningful life without having some big purpose. Just with that approach. Just trying to stay on as much as possible. Catching yourself when you're off and bringing yourself back on. See, a sort of materialistic person who's lost track of their values or never knew them and is just trying to find meaning and getting validation and approval from others. If they're socializing... Their essential intent, whether they think of it or not, would be to try and make and keep friends, make people like me. Whereas somebody living with integrity will be like trying to make everything they say honest and trying to make everything they hear, try to approach that with respect, you know, and acceptance. And even if this means the other person doesn't like them, that's fine. doesn't matter. Because socializing for an integrity person isn't about making friends and keeping them. It's about being a person they're proud of. Every conversation becomes meaningful when you're trying your very best to be honest and courageous and respectful and accepting and compassionate. And you're just like, it doesn't matter if this person likes me or not, I've got to stay on track with these values. 
You'll never have two conversations feel the same. There's no such thing as small talk in that world. And it's very sort of intensive and focused and meaningful. So, let's put that aside as the living purposefully section. Talk about now finding a purpose. Okay, so, finding a purpose is fucking hard. Most people have no idea, or they cling to something, but they suspect it's not the thing. Usually some sort of materialistic uh, societal conditioning thing, like they're trying to be popular, or they're trying to get rich, or trying to get a nice body or something, and they think, this is my purpose. But deep down they're like, really, this? That's the best you could do? And they just kind of know it's not it. But they can't think of anything else. And then there's other people just like, I wouldn't know where to start. Well, hopefully I can give you the answers in terms of trying to figure out where to start. Keep in mind, it's not my job to tell you what to do with your life. It's your job to tell yourself. Nobody else can give you the answer to these questions. You can't ask somebody else, who am I? What should I be doing? A lot of people will give you answers if you ask those questions, but you shouldn't be listening to them. Unless their answers are around how you can answer the question yourself. Unfortunately, most of the people you go to will tell you what they think you should be, and it's just them projecting their insecurities and control onto other people. A truly confident person would never tell you what you should be doing with your life. But they might give you guidance as to how to figure it out for yourself. And that's what I'm going to try and do today. First thing to eliminate is being on the fence about anything. Uncertainty, maybe. I did a previous video on Twitch about being stuck in maybe. That's where confidence goes to die. So make it an intent for yourself from now on to be all in or all out on anything. Whether it's something as simple as choosing what to eat, through something as big as your political stance, uh, you know, conservative versus liberal, or whether or not you like a person, or whether or not you should do this job. Make it like from now on, you're not going to be in the middle, you're not going to be half in on anything. You're going to go all in, all out. And you're going to be for or against. You can do this with, uh, you can probably Google a list of the top issues that people argue about. Go through a list and decide, am I for or against on these different topics? You know, maybe there's like abortion or immigration issues or uh, welfare or whatever. And you go through and you just go, am I for or against? And you can apply something I call the 51% rule, which is, let's say you feel 50-50 on something. You're like, oh, I can see both sides of the story. I'm not really sure where I stand. Put a gun to your head, metaphorically, and say, if I had to lean just 1% in either direction, which way would I lean? And just allow your kind of instincts and your emotions to just give you the answer, to be truthful with yourself. Like, even if I'm trying to see everyone's point of view, there is one point of view I'm slightly in favor of, even just one tiny percent in favor of. And once you've identified that percent, you treat it like you've gone from 51% to 100. It doesn't mean that you're blind to the other side of the story, that you don't have nuance, that you're not open to having your mind changed. It's just if you're going to go in on something, go all in or go all out. So there is the option of opting out. So somebody goes, if you are you for or against abortion? You can say, look, I don't know. Fuck it. Do whatever you want. I, I don't ever stand either way. If you really are 50-50, then it means you're all out on the whole issue. But if it, even if you're like, well, you know, I can see that, you know, on one hand, it looks like you're, you're murdering a living being that doesn't have a choice. And on the other hand, you know, the mother would suffer and the child would suffer from being with that mother because she's not prepared. But in your heart, you're just like, 
yeah, I just, I, I can't kill a living thing. That means you're 51% against abortion. And that's now your new stance. When somebody says, are you for or against it? You just say, I'm against. You don't say, oh, I'm very slightly against. You just say, I'm against. And what it'll do is it'll help you figure out why you feel so vague on things is because you're scared to take a stance. You actually do have a strong view on most things. You just don't feel like you do because it's high risk to have strong views. And this is one of the biggest reasons that people can't find their purpose or don't know what they're doing with their life uh, is because they are scared of standing out in some way. If you want to have a purposeful, meaningful life, you're going to have to stand out. You're going to have to be hated. That's the fear you're going to have to overcome. If you can't overcome that, you can't find meaning and purpose. I think it was a house. Uh, you remember that old program, the guy House, the doctor? A quote from him was like, uh, if no one hates you, you're doing it wrong. Albert Einstein said something similar. If you're not prepared to be disliked, then you'll never do anything good with your life. I don't know what he said, something like that. But what you can do is you can start with the little things. The little topics or even stuff you're not that interested in. Just say, am I for or against? And then whenever you're expressing yourself or acting, then go all in on that side of the fence. It doesn't mean, like I said, you don't lose sight of why you don't lose compassion for the other side. Uh, you don't see them as your enemy. But you also don't lie to yourself about where you truly stand on the issue. That's key because you're not going to figure out what's meaningful and purposeful to you if you can't be honest with yourself about your preferences where you stand, your opinions, your beliefs. You have to be honest with yourself. These things can be open to change, but you have to know what they are before they can be changed. So it might be that you end up talking to a pro-choice person and they make a really good argument and you change your mind. And you think, you know what? Abortion makes sense. It's best for society or whatever it is, conclusion that you come to. That's fine. Now you're all in on abortion. As long as you're just never 50-50 and unsure of what you stand for. Never allow 50-50 to be your final position on something. If that's the case, if you can't move 1% in either direction, then you have to go all out on the issue and say, I have no opinion on this issue. Don't ask me. Don't talk to me about it. I'm out completely. Leave me alone. This is actually one of the reasons uh, for the last few elections I haven't voted. It's because for the life of me, I can't prefer a single candidate. I think they're all terrible. And if I can't even go 1% go, oh, at least that one's better than that one. I can do that and say that one is better than that one. But if they both suck, it doesn't make a difference. In my personal opinion, the problem with politics is the people who want to do it are the worst people for the job. So I realized if I vote, I'm not living with integrity. Because my true feelings is I don't think any of them should do it. And only not voting is a true expression of that feeling. So, moving on, next point. When it comes to choosing a purpose, one of the best things you can think about, as miserable and scary as it sounds, is your death. I think one of the reasons a lot of people don't have meaning in their life is because they haven't acknowledged or recently thought about the fact that they are going to die and it could happen any day now. They're not promised any sort of longevity. doesn't matter how healthy you are, how safe you live. Anyone can get hit by a bus, anyone can get cancer, anybody can be murdered, anybody can choke to death on a sandwich. Every day your life's at risk, and death is going to get you eventually. It's been trying to get you since you were born, and it's very good. It wins every battle, it just takes a long time with some people, and it's very quick with others. 
And if you're not engaging in what the Stoics call memento mori, if you're not remembering that you're going to die and sort of meditating on this and keeping it front and center in your mind, you're not going to have much sense of meaning. That's the very source of meaning is our mortality. I was reading uh, Yuval Harari's book, uh, Homo Deus, where he talks, he's kind of predicting the future. And one of the things he predicts is that there will be these kind of cyborgs, essentially. These people who use technology to stay alive forever. You know, they can replace their organs with technology. They can uh, keep themselves very uh, healthy uh, to the point where they, they never die, essentially, unless they're sort of murdered. And it's not science fiction. This is almost ready to happen. There's already, like, uh, electronic hearts being designed and so on. So... He said the thing is these people will live very anxious, meaningless lives because they know they're never going to die unless they get murdered. They'll be scared to leave the house because they don't want someone to kill them. But also, knowing that there is no end to their life means there's no reason to do anything now. And so it's actually going to be a hellish existence. It's not something we should look forward to. And I agree with him. But you have to face your fear of death to find meaning in life. And it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. You have to ask yourself, What if the doctor told me I've only got six months to live? What kind of regrets are immediately going to come to mind? The things you wish you had said, the things you wish you had done, the things you put off, and now you're thinking, Jesus, why didn't I do it? What was the point of putting that off? There's a uh, kind of death care nurse, Bonnie Ware. You can look up her work. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. W-A-R-E, Bonnie Ware. And she did extensive kind of... um, extensive informal research into people dying and the regrets that they have on their deathbed it's classic how how common they were didn't spend enough time with my family worked too hard didn't take good care of myself it's very sort of standard things that everybody's doing right now they're doing it wrong and they're going to have those same regrets when they're older well i really recommend looking into her work and ask yourself well do i want to have those regrets or do i want to do something about that now you know, one of the main regrets is that they people basically didn't express themselves honestly. They didn't say what they truly felt. And in a physical way, they didn't do what they really wanted to do. That's a form of honesty. So if you ask yourself, if I knew I was going to die, and everything that's important to me changed, you know, all the long-term things I was trying to keep going were all taken away from me, what will I wish that I was doing? How would I wish I could spend my time? You can also look at this in a more positive way. A lot of people waste their time trying to make money. And I say waste their time as in they're doing something that isn't meaningful just to provide an income because they're financially insecure in their heads. When you ask yourself, if if I had a billion dollars after the party and I'd bought everything I wanted to buy and, you know, done the hedonistic thing, how would I give my life meaning? What would I do with my time if it didn't matter that I didn't have to make money? If you think, God, you know, if I just didn't have to make money, I'd just paint all day. Well, that means you want to be an artist. That's your purpose. Right there. Problem fucking solved. Whatever it is you would do with your time, a majority of your time, if you didn't have to go out and earn a cash, is probably the mission that you've got in your life. What do you want written on your tombstone? What do you want people to say at your funeral? This is another way of looking at death. Well... He paid his bills on time, never took a sick day off work. Is that what you want them to say? He was really worried about people liking him. You couldn't stop him worrying. Is that what you want people to say? Or do you want to say, she fought for X, Y, and Z? You know? He never compromised his blah, blah, blah values. 
what is it that you wish that they'd say that you would look down and go that that's a that's a person who fucking lived you know what's your opinion on that what do you wish other people would take more seriously when you think of other people dying people you know and love in what ways do you think they're wasting their life let's imagine the people closest to you are going to die within the next six months what kind of changes of behavior would you wish for them so that those last six months are meaningful because what you're doing there is you're projecting you don't actually know what would be meaningful for them you just know what you think is meaningful and you project that onto them so that's an answer for you you know, if I think, God, if my wife is going to die in six months, I'll be honest here. So if Lucy was going to die in six months, what would I wish for her? I, uh, oh, I just wish that she would be really engaged with our daughter and she wouldn't waste time doing like pointless projects or trying to solve everybody else's problems. So it tells me that my sense of meaningfulness is parenting. Which is lucky, because it happens to be my essential intent, intent at the moment. I want to be a good dad. I don't care if anybody else notices. I just want my daughter Chloe to grow up having the kind of dad that every person should have. right? So when you think about your death, if you think it's coming up soon, uh, one coach said, you've got 12 months to live. What changes? Ask yourself that question. 12 months is a good period of time, because you don't think, oh, fuck it, it's only a month. I'm just going to take drugs and go out on high. 12 months, you actually got some time, you've got to spend. You've got time to live, but you don't have much. So it can help you figure out, you know, what I'd do, be doing with my time if I wasn't scared of anything but death. You know, I wasn't scared of what people thought anymore. I wasn't scared about being poor anymore. I wasn't scared about looking good anymore. I just, I'm going to die soon. I just better make the most of these minutes. What would you do with those minutes? Even a vague idea of like, I'd probably be a bit more artistic or... God, I bet I take better care of my body. Whatever it is, sort of pencil that in. Maybe that's my purpose. And start living like it is. And if it is your purpose, you'll feel it. You'll be like, fuck, I feel like I'm finally on track. Like, I know why I'm getting up in the morning. I know why I'm here. And if it doesn't feel like that, well, at least, you know, that's one less thing eliminated. You can branch off from that and figure out what the next one is. The next uh, way that you can approach this is choosing you a hill to die on this is more of like a fighting metaphor you look out into the world millions of problems to choose from corrupt politicians child sex trafficking climate change vaccinations people being awful to each other immigration overpopulation veganism there's so many different ways of looking at the world and going that's what's wrong with the world and ask yourself, you know, if there was a battle, which of these issues would I be willing to die for if I had to choose one? With today's social media, and it's always been happening with media, it's just sort of enhanced by things like Facebook and stuff at the moment. It's really easy to get lost in the squabbles that people have about all the bullshit, right? The comment section of people being awful to each other over things that they don't actually care that much about. They just wanted to be combative. And it's really easy to get lost in all that noise. I remember once there was a uh, psychic coming to New Zealand. And she she was one of those scam artist ones that makes you think that she can talk to your dead relatives for an extensive amount of money. And I, I just, I hate how these people are even legally allowed to operate, you know. To me it's just such an obvious psychopathic scam. So I went on a big rant on the page that she was advertising on. I had a comment section. I did a big rant 
exposing her, kind of debunking her. Like, these are the strategies that she uses, these are the techniques that she uses to make you think she's psychic and anybody can do this. Here's cold reading, this is what they do with your information and the form you fill out. And, you know, it's all a big scam. And I was, I was basically trying to make sure anybody who could read this wouldn't be fooled by her. And I thought I was such a good person for doing this. And then one of my kind of lurkers, a person who's been following my work for a while, but, you know, I've had no contact with personally, she messaged me. She said, I'm disappointed in you. I was like, whoa, why? You know, I'm doing good work here. And she she said basically, like, that was so negative. You know, most of the stuff that you do is so helpful. And that was just like a big whinge. And at first I took that personally, you know, and I got offended. And I thought, fuck, she's right. What the fuck am I doing? My, my essential intent, my purpose is not to debunk psychics. If it was, then that's exactly what I should be doing. But it's not. It's to help people pleasers become more confident. How's that contributing to helping people pleasers become more confident? It's not. Not even a little bit. It was a sidetrack. It was off track. It's not the hill I want to die on. If there's going to be a battle to the death, I don't want to die on the let's prove psychics wrong thing. That's not really my fight. My fight is getting nice guys to be more honest. That's really my fight. That's what I'll fucking die for if I have to. That's that's a war I'd be on board with. It's a war I'd be a fucking general at, you know. So when you find yourself being pulled into various arguments and debates and concepts, ask yourself, is this the one? Is this the hill I want to die on? Is this one I want to fight to the death for? And if it's not, back away immediately. Get away from it. Stop wasting your time consuming your bandwidth with stuff that doesn't actually matter to you. If you're an average person listening to this, you do a lot of this. All right? You get into little arguments on Facebook, or you get into like big political debates down at the pub with your mates or whatever, and it's actually all about shit you don't really give a fuck about. You don't think about it that much. It's not the thing you're doing anything about in your life. You're not fighting actively. You're just getting pulled into someone's bullshit. I saw a quote, I think it was from Keanu Reeves, and he was saying he's learning to accept people being wrong. So if someone comes up to him, someone comes up to him and says two plus two equals five, he's just like, all right, fine. Because that's not what he's here to do. He's here to be a good person and you know act in movies. Anything else is pointless to even get involved with. And I love that approach. I wish I could do it better. You know, just recently I got into the argument, some sort of little argument in the comment section of my YouTube channel with someone who clearly doesn't like me. They don't like my message. They don't like my style. They don't like my belief system. Why am I talking to this person? When I've got people who do like what I'm doing, who I could help. And I just stole that energy away from those people to give to this pointless person. This person who's on some sort of agenda that's got nothing to do with me. I should have just ignored them. And hopefully I will in the future. So you want to identify your enemy. My enemy is low self-confidence in people because they're dishonest. That's my enemy. Your enemy might be an actual type of person, like child sex traffickers. Or greedy corporate boards of directors that are causing all the pollution or you might have an actual enemy or you might have an ideology that's an enemy you know like say sam harris is anti-islam but he's not anti-muslim he's against the religion but not the people he wants the idea to change he doesn't have a problem with the people who believe in the idea as such so who's your enemy or what concept or idea is your enemy what do you look at and go fuck that's ruining everything in the world that's the main problem. That's the one that bothers me the most. 
because fighting against it could be your purpose. But in order to fight against it, you've got to conserve all your resources, all your ammunition, all your weaponry has to be for this fight. Don't waste it on shit that you don't actually care about. Honestly, finding your purpose is a lot about a process of elimination. It's about making sure you're not doing the stuff that isn't it. And usually whatever's left over is it. Last hint I'll give you of finding your purpose is helping other people solve your own problem. And this is essentially my pathway. This is how I figured out my thing. Because prior to being a coach who helps nice guys and people pleasers become more confident through being more honest, I was a very dishonest nice guy. And that goes back as far as I can remember into my childhood. People pleasing was my number one strategy for socializing uh, because I was kind of bullied and uh, ostracized when I was really young. And I found this kind of way in. If I made people laugh and I impressed the adults with my uh, academic intelligence, I got acceptance and love and approval and validation. So I started doing that all the time and I turned it into kind of an art form, a manipulation, a performance that eventually became my whole persona. I was that thing. The real me was hidden behind it, but I was always acting. Except with a couple of close friends, I was always acting. And then, like a drug addict... I recovered from it as much as can be done. It's kind of like you live with it forever. But I started being more honest, being more courageous, having confrontations, telling people what I really feel, standing up for what I believe in, and so on. And I conquered my own demons to the best of my ability. There's still some remnants that I have to deal with, but essentially I'm on top of that shit now. And then I realized, fuck, there's a lot of people like me. Like a lot of people. It turns out, probably a majority and I can see them struggling with the same stuff I struggled with and not having the realizations that I was lucky enough to have and not having the insight that's needed to change that stuff and missing out and I felt for them I still do every day I feel for them as I see them missing out you know I'll go to some social event and see someone putting on a show to try and make people like him I'm just like ah you're fucking missing out bro you're gonna go home miserable with yourself you're probably really anxious right now you're not enjoying life. You're just desperate to make people like you. And I can see him doing that. Because I used to do it. I know what it looks like. I know when it's fake. And I just want to show him the other way. The way where he gets to be himself and fuck what anyone thinks. And it's awesome. It's powerful. And you get great relationships out of it. So once I conquered my own demon, I went past that knowledge on. And I've seen this become a really powerful way for people to live is essentially everyone's got some form of trauma that hurts them first you fix it for yourself and then you fix it for other people and that is like the recipe for a good life uh, every i used to work with drug addicts in recovery and all the best rehab centers were entirely staffed by ex-addicts so all the counselors and all the management and everything were former drug addicts those were the most effective places because you can't bullshit somebody who's been where you've been So a lot of people who recover from drug addiction become addiction recovery specialists. It's a great way to put what they've done to use. And it also helps remove all regrets about the way you've lived because you see it all contributes to the way you are. Like, I don't regret anything about being a nice guy now. I don't regret the five-year sex drought, four-year sex drought that I had to go through because I just couldn't initiate sex. And I don't regret everyone walking all over me and I don't regret having a circle of friends who just used me for entertainment and didn't really like who I was because all of that means I'm a very powerful coach now 
Like when I get a nice guy or a people pleaser in front of me, I say a few words and they're like, fuck, it's like you're psychic, you know. It's like I'm not, I just know what it's like to be you so I can help you. Uh, I was just reading the book Once Were Warriors. There's a famous New Zealand movie, Once Were Warriors, very rough movie. And uh, anyway, the book version, the lead character, Beth, is, you know, she's a typical abused wife in, in a poverty-stricken area. You know, everyone just gets pissed all the time, drunk all the time. And then they beat their wives and the kids are all neglected and so on. And eventually she escaped her situation. She was in one of the worst ones. And then she started up a kind of home for kids. All the neglected kids could come to her and she would help educate them and just give them cuddles and be all the things that she missed out on. And then eventually started building up the the Maori cultural identity with the local community and giving them their power back sort of thing. She was basically giving them everything that nobody gave her. And that's one of the greatest things that can give you a sense of purpose is to be the person you once needed but couldn't find. It's a great business idea too. You know, if you had to solve all your shit by yourself and you're, fuck, why is there no help for stuff like this? Become that help. You know, that's what I did. One of the reasons I'm able to make a business being a nice guy coach, there are other ones, but when I was working on it, there was nothing for me. There's no help. Nothing good. Everyone I went to didn't know what I was talking about. They didn't understand. They hadn't been through it or they hadn't dealt with it properly themselves. So I was like, there needs to be a guy who can help people with this. Couldn't find that guy, so I became that guy. And that gets me out of bed every day, makes me feel like I'm doing something meaningful with my life. And any one of you can do the same thing with your own trauma, with your own bullshit. You sort it out for yourself first, by any means possible. And then once you really got it sorted, you go, right. How do I teach other people what took me five years to figure out? How do I teach them in three months to go through that same process? Because that's essentially what my coaching is. The seven years I, I kind of judge as seven years it took me to recover from nice guy syndrome. I help people do it in three to six months now. That's my gift to the world. That's what I suffered for. Final thoughts is you might be thinking, well, that's great. I've got a purpose, I'm living purposefully, but I've got all this other shit to take care of. You know, I've got to get the kids to school. The house has got to be cleaned. You know, where does that fit in? I call that the rest. The stuff that you have to do, the admin of your life. The key is to try to do it with as little effort as possible. If it's not the hill you want to die on, if it's not something you can engage in meaningfully, find a way to get out of it or get it done quickly or get it done with as little effort as possible. You're looking for maximum efficiency points. So do it like to the point where it's done and no further than that. Never do it beyond the amounts needed to get it done to the most simple level. Okay, so if you're cleaning the kitchen, you can't find any meaning in that. Don't give it the fucking clean like, uh, you know, you're trying to win a competition. Just get it functionally clean and move on with your life. Or better yet, hire a cleaner. Brokerage is one of the key ways to deal with the things that aren't meaningful in your life. Is there someone else who wants to do this? Is there an app that can do this for me? Is there a person I can hire to do this? Is there someone I can trade with where the thing they don't want to do is my favorite thing and the thing I don't want to do is their favorite thing? I've done similar things. I've sort of traded coaching for mechanic work on my car, you know. Somebody's doing their thing, I'm doing mine, we both benefit. It'd be great if we could all get back to trading and just eliminate money, but it's never going to happen. The point being is, all the rest of the stuff, you've got to constantly ask yourself, how do I cut it down? How do I do less of it? What can I stop doing? What can I pass on to someone else? What can I just do a quick little version of rather than going all the way in? So on. 
that might contradict what I said before about doing everything meaningfully. But if you've got a more meaningful thing that you could be doing, then try to get rid of the less meaningful thing. You know, sure, you can do the dishes in a really meaningful way. But if you can get someone else to do the dishes while you coach someone, that's a better use of your time. So those are my thoughts. Finding meaning and purpose. If I've missed anything or there are questions you feel still unanswered, please contact me, dan at brojo.org. Thank you to those of you who showed up live and to those of you who commented or followed on Twitch. That's very nice of you. And I'll see you all next time. Cheers. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.